Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Welcome to a special extra credit episode of We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I reunite with high school classmates from my school of Wissahickon High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. Today is a special episode and that it's not a Monday morning. It is a Thanksgiving Thursday, and this episode is not with someone from my class. This episode is with Derek Cataldi, class of 1999. Derek is someone that's been mentioned now three times on the podcast, and it was just kind of coincidence as Thanksgiving was coming up. I really, really wanted to have a surprise episode for everyone to enjoy over the long break. And Derek was really interested in coming on the podcast to talk about some of the things that we alluded to as far as um, his progression through tech school and what he's doing now with his career. Uh, We thought it was a really good opportunity to put the word out there for young people who are in school now who are looking to, I don't know, learn something about uh, tech school, about trade, about the union. Uh, And so Derek is here to lend his expertise in addition to talking about his high school life. You can follow the show on Instagram. We weren't friends in high school. If you follow it already, you might have already seen that there was going to be an episode today. If not, there you go. The Twitter is WWF in high school. And of course, this podcast is available on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use. Okay, I think that's all the housekeeping notes. Uh, one last thing, and um, this is just a weird thing. I'm I'm super sensitive about it. Uh, I've got some weird radio going on in the building of my apartment here in Philadelphia. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't actually have neighbors. What I do have, though, is a shop that is below me that closes at night. I don't know. I think they're leaving the radio on at night. And um, I make mention of it at the very end of this interview, but man, is it getting on my nerves? So I'm going to try and get to the bottom of it. I've been noticing it for uh, a little bit now. And so I'm going to have to start asking people now that I'm pretty sure I'm not going crazy. So if you hear someone talking or some sports scores going on in the background, very, very faint, uh, that is what it is. You also are not crazy. All right. And uh, with that said, here's your extra credit episode. Derek Cataldi. So Derek Cataldi, welcome. Thank you for having me, Brad. Uh, Did you have more of that? I will. I will pause a lot because that is the William Shatner effect of what would Shatner do? Mm. And that's a public speaking thing when he would go. If you if you don't say amen or like. Sometimes I find, yeah, when I slow down and I just am a little bit more purposeful with the words that I say, then I won't use filler words and sounds. I can just kind of keep myself a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. It's also no matter how many times people say, like, I won't feel uncomfortable because there's a microphone in my face. Cause it's just us hanging out, having a conversation in the back of your mind, you know, this is being recorded and it is going to be broadcasted eventually. Mm-hmm. So everybody has jitters and every time I 
stand up to do public speaking or do comedy, you get them jitters. If you don't, you're not a human. You just have to tell yourself, this is you being is human, yes. pump the brakes, get yeah. through it. And just call my name already so I can get up there. Man, so this is, we're going to go way ahead of time. But so you were, you know, you, you used to do some stand-up. And I once in my life did open mic stand-up when I first moved down here. There's a bar a couple blocks away that does, that was doing open mics in the basement. So I went down there. And this was kind of what I came to the, to the city in the first place to do. You know, work on my writing, make connections with comedians, maybe find some sort of collaborations that I can do. So I went to this place and I went down there and a little buzzed, of course, and I sign up and man, it had to be an hour and a half until I got called. And the whole time my heart is just, when are they going to call me? When are they going to call me? When are, and then they call me and I'm like, oh God, now after that guy, now <laughs> it was the hardest thing. And I never went back because anytime I thought about it and you hear about this when people talk about, do you really want it? And I love stand-up comedy. I love stand-up comedians. But when they talk about, do you want it? They talk about when you're doing open mic, man, you don't go until 1.30 in the morning, 2, 3 in the morning sometimes, and you got to be ready to go. And that's not me. <laughs> it is a full-time second job if you really want it because you are going to these open mic nights and such. It is next to impossible to get a gig. Yeah. And the rule to be a professional comedian is you need 10,000 hours on stage in a seven year period. Wow. You have to videotape that and then watch it and figure out your laughs per minute. And you need three and a half, was it three and a half laughs per minute? I'd have to go back and listen to the audio book to figure that one out. It's no joke. That's yeah. why everybody's YouTube funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not Jim Carrey, like Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. Richard Pryor funny. Like you, yeah. yeah, it's work. It's no joke. We'll keep working on Jim Carrey funny as time goes on. You've totally changed the way that I speak right now. I'm trying to keep up with you in slowing down, not using filling word, filler words. It's something that I've I mentioned when I edit, I notice. But now that you do it, I'm like, well, I'll just start doing it. And this it's, podcast is going to be seven hours long. <laughs> it's easier because it can keep somebody's attention. Uh, the average human being waits 17 sounds before they try to interject. Really? Yeah. So we, at least in America, are taught to be good spellers, good communicators, good enunciators. Not good listeners. Yes. So that has been one of the biggest things for me because I was more of an introvert when I was in like middle school and I became more of an extrovert in high school. Mm -hmm. And anybody who saw how I look like knows that. So being able to not talk and listen and listen with intent is a skill I am still learning and getting better at. This podcast really helps me do that uh, when I talk and I get, especially when I drink and I get very excited and we start talking about something like sports or politics. Uh, that is when I get really, really ad, like animated and I can't, I start, my brain just starts going and I can't slow down and I can't, I can't rest the thought that I have. I need to say it right now. 
right now because I know what you're going to say. I know the point you're trying to make. So let me just stop you and interject my counterpoint. And in dating, girls would start telling me I had like one or two girls that told me years past, like, you know, you really inter- you really like interrupt a lot or you're it's hard to have a conversation. Or, and for me, it's competitive conversations at times are, are it's like a competitive sport who can make their point better. And I really had to start to work on that because people were telling me it was kind of getting on their nerves. And so this podcast especially helps me learn that because I don't want this podcast to ever be me talking about stuff, you know, for 15 minutes or or even a nine minute soliloquy. And so when people start talking in my brain, I'm just going, shut up, shut up. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Listen, 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 then react after the fact. So I tried to make it in a point to never talk religion or politics as when drinking that's just a no-no <laughs> so if you want to make your holidays a lot more simpler just ask people who they voted for <laughs> that's it. it's it's almost impossible in this day and age it is to not talk about politics and because it's pretty obvious that this country's so divided i don't like to talk politics i like to ask people yeah like oh why do you Why'd you vote for this person? What's the reason? Yeah. Because you can't tell people and convince them. You have to get them to say things to convince them to right. your way of thinking. Especially in today's world where I think people have the conversation so many times over and over with different people. They've heard the the same arguments over and over. And so whether you're you consider yourself right wing or left wing or centrist or liberal or conservative when you're arguing someone with a, a different point, it almost only takes five words before you know exactly the point that they're going to, which automatically sets you up for your argument that you've been built to express in response to that. And it just becomes a, no one's even like listening to them as a person for why they actually feel a way that they feel. It's defense mechanism. It is. We're human and it's in our DNA. I still think, at least in like the eastern part of the states, there's like 20% on one side, 20% on the other, and then the 60% in the middle, regardless of what you're registered or vote or how you see things, you're actually similar on a lot more subjects than mm-hmm. you might actually give the time to hear somebody out because of the first three major subject matters. Yeah. Do you enjoy it, though, personally? Do you enjoy just for your own consumption? Like I, you know, I get it when people don't want to talk politics, and so in some, most cases, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give them that, and I don't talk it at work or anything like that. But I love sitting down by myself, watching a debate or watching an hour or two of of some national news. I enjoy any debate. That's the polite way of putting argument. Yeah, because you can find out how people communicate on their political beliefs. If you can actually, as an Italian, <laughs> sit on your hands so you don't talk. <laughs> and just listen to people. And it's still a skill I am trying to learn. Listen and listen with intent. So sure, f- fire at me. And hopefully I'll catch myself getting mm-hmm. emotional, shutting up and not firing back and, and hearing you out until you're done. Which is tough because when people get fired up, they tend not to talk and or it's tend diff- not stop talking. 
it's different for everyone, but I, you know, I find when you're able to have those type of communications, conversations, people appreciate it so much more and, and they almost expect you to cut them off to stop them at, at certain trigger phrases, words. Uh, and when you let them go, it change. you know, it, it kind of changes that you heard them out. And, and I like that. I really, really enjoy, I, you know, I really enjoy the sport of debate conversation figuring each other out it's cool to me i enjoy communication with all walks of life because everybody's been through something we haven't so if you just keep your mouth shut you're going to find out about them yeah and you can meet the most humble person that's went through the hardest time ever and if you try to interject you're going to miss that opportunity. Yeah. Butterfly effect. Boom. <laughs> well, this is one of those conversations, you know, this is going to, you know, that's what this is. And and this, this podcast is because of a butterfly. This effect. is a butterfly <laughs> effect, man. I'm, I'm trying to listen uh, and, and take it in. And you mentioned, you know, at some point people are going to hear this. People are going to hear this in two days. Today is a Tuesday, uh, two days before Thanksgiving. I am going to turn this thing around and it's going to come out Thursday morning. So, Surprise, everybody. We're dropping on it. Everyone's been saying, when are you going to do one? Like, I need like the weeks condensed. I need it. So I'm going to drop one now on Thursday, Thanksgiving. You're still going to get your regular Monday one next week. But we've been talking about you for so (laughs) many episodes now, which I don't know, wasn't anything I ever thought was going to happen. Right. Completely surprising. We started talking about tech school. Your sister has been on the episode, episode 103. Go check that out with Danielle Cataldi. And we kind of started going on a theme of tech school. And I feel very strongly about tech school in that I feel like I kind of missed an opportunity. It's just telling you, like, I hate that I don't know how to fix anything. No one that I, none of my family fixes stuff. I don't have a lot of friends that fix things. And so, you know, something from my car to my air conditioner, I wish I knew how to do those type of things. And so we mentioned it again with with Danielle or with uh, with Alea and then again with Kim. And so it kind of worked out perfectly that you were down to talk. And uh, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. But before we get to you building things with your hands... I want to know a little bit about your life growing up. We heard about it from Danielle's side. You are two years older than we are, correct? Two classes ahead. Yeah, 19 months older yeah. than my sister. So we're, we're class of 01. You were class of 99? 99. Nine. What? <laughs> it's funny because when- uh, Before Y2K. Before the Y2K. When you guys were having your class reunion, that was uh, the summer? Yeah, just right? this past uh, summer. This past, this past spring during the uh, music fest that was going on. And it's funny because you're two years ahead of us, but I almost feel like you were just like the next year because the people that your sister were mentioning to me that, was, that were there and just seems also familiar. Um, what was your experience kind of with Ambler, with friends and was Hicken as far as just a, a small, I feel like you're part of a group that is still very visible in Ambler. And so I imagine you've got a, a, a good group of people that you are still in complete contact with. Yeah. When I was uh, in middle school, I was a little bit of an introvert, a lot of bit of an introvert. When I got into high school, I started going down to uh, 38th and Lancaster, 
for punk rock shows. Yeah. I was not goth. I'm sorry, everybody who said I was goth. I never had a trench coat. I'm too short to own a trench coat. They would scrape against the ground. Let's so you consider yourself punk? Would you have been punk then? Oh, absolutely. Hard, hard metal? I listened to a lot of hard metal. I started drumming when I was 16 years heavy old. Heavy metal? Is that the heavy metal? Heavy now metal? now I'm full spectrum. But not goth. No. Did you wear black nail polish? Hell no. See, that would be like the the, the final like Okay, that's goth. But if you didn't wear you didn't wear black nail polish, then I don't. Where did you hear that you were goth? Where where would this? My just recent twenty year reunion. Uh, but I, did you growing up when you were in that era where people saying absolutely not? You didn't. So you didn't know it then that that was no, what people thought. No, it's only now that you just go wait what? <laughs> yeah, it was straight punk rock. We stood out. I sewed. Every patch on the clothing that I had, and at points I was decked from top to bottom. When I had hair, it was either down to the small of my back or in a mohawk or multiple ones, different colors. Right, I was different colors. Remember that? Dying yeah. my goatee. I actually bleached my goatee for so long that it my roots were growing out dirty blonde. Wow. I, I could have been in a boy band. Boom, just like that. <laughs> But I destroyed my vocal cords singing in a metal band for a couple of years when I was younger. Nice. And then once we got away from that, I started playing uh, playing the drums. Okay. Yeah. When I was going down to uh, the spot in West Philly, it was it was punk rock and it was very influential. I learned to be able to express myself the statement wearing it on your sleeve mm. i did like every belief i had or band i listened to had a patch on an article in my clothing mm. expression and i realized you don't have to be that expressive to actually get your point across you need to lead by example mm. and just show people, hey, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to go shoulder to shoulder with you to show you this is how I believe. And I want to be more of a motivator yeah. than just a statement, billboard. But before that, you, you so you said you were an introvert. So like elementary, so you were Madison, right? Same as, same as Madison. Right? Madison mm -hmm. we, same path, Madison to Shady Grove. Yep, correct. Uh, so you were an introvert. What is that uh, when you're a young kid? What does that equate to? I wish I had a good answer for you. Oh, I stumped you. Yeah. doesn't I mean, happen often. I mean, I guess, was it like a, did you just go home after school when you were, when you were younger? Just, and, then, and then I would probably unleash on my parents, my poor parents. Yeah. They've been great to me and. Act out and. Yeah. yeah. I had a pink goatee, purple goatee for a couple of years. Well, before that, before that. Me. So I guess like when you're like seven, eight, nine, ten. Do you have like friends in school or are sure. you, an are you an introvert then? And you just kind of go home and, and don't do it. Don't go out and play. It's, or It's more of a closer knit crowd. I got to give some shout outs to people who go way back in my life. Uh, Val Jones has been pretty much my childhood best friend since kindergarten. She actually just tagged me in a picture on Facebook where she was wearing similar face makeup. 
on the Halloween at school as she oh, was at my party just a couple of months ago. So it's a great feeling when you have that many people from your small community, like still keeping in contact with you because we're all so spread out. Yeah. Val's Hank's sister. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Jones is, uh, I think, been listening. So a uh, big supporter So of me in general. So cool. Yeah. Shout out to the, all the Joneses, Hank, Val, and Mrs. Jones and Mr. Jones. Go Eagles. I know you're Steelers fans. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, kind of an introvert growing up as a kid. What bust you out of your shell? Was it music? Was, was it that scene? Or what? what do you think made you an extrovert? Did that happen in high school? It was the scene, high school. I mean, you go from a small fish or a big fish in a small pond, as they say, yep. to a, a small fish in a big pond in high school. Mm -hmm. It was what's hacking. So it might have seemed big to us mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of life. It it's is all not. we knew. Yeah. And, and then you, you go to like that setting and being exposed to so much, it really is eye-opening. And they have a lot of strict views. I was a vegetarian for three and a half years. I was a vegan for four months before it was so easy. <laughs> it wasn't a fad back then. It wasn't a thing. No, it was tough. What were you eating back then as a, as a vegetarian Dirt slash and vegan? Rocks. Like, is it rice cakes? Is it like... It was, is, or is it, I hear a lot of times um, when people talk about being they're like, oh, you know, just being a vegetarian or vegan is not healthy. You could just eat French fries all day. So saturated fat. <laughs> so what, what were you eating as a vegetarian vegan in high school? I have to give props to my mom because she didn't support me when I was doing comedy. But the funniest joke I told her was when I came home at like, 13, 14 years old and said, Hey, mom, I'm going to go vegetarian. I think she's still laughing about that. So maybe <laughs> if she hears this, she's going to laugh her ass off. And that was kind of the, I have to prove her wrong motivation. Yeah. And my friends were doing it. So it was, it was pretty simple. I had to learn to eat things green. And that was her quote. Like you don't eat anything green. I was actually a very, picky eater it was majority like peanut butter and jelly and pizza but then what were you so it's you know 1996 it was and you're I had vegetarian to start vegetables fruit just yeah. eating healthy just yeah. legit eating raw yeah. you go around the edge of the grocery store just yeah. follow the perimeter and that's what got your crew doing that you said you animal because rights your friends animal rights yeah. really protesting were you protesting yes were you, yeah all right, protesting we'll a lot but were you like um uh like activism type of not as hardcore as some of the people who influenced me to do that stuff uh i was still a teenager going to high school working jobs at night so i try to do my stuff on the weekends and it's funny when you protest people look at you poorly <laughs> Well, it's like a thing, you know, you, where were you protesting? Where, what, what type of places were you protesting? The one specific I will always remember because there was a large amount of people. It was a nationalist convention in Doylestown mm -hmm. and we ended up on a, a like a weird triangle, like island of a, a roadway. Mm -hmm. And we just had signs that were like anti-racism <laughs> and 
people in <laughs> I mean unfocused it, it, people with like like I know I went, I went so far back. it's so unfocused it, like these these dudes driving by with like old vans like rusted out bumpers and stuff like that with Bill Clinton with a Pinocchio nose on on every part of their window, like spitting yeah. on us as they were driving by, wow. telling us to go home. Wow. So cool. it's like 96, 97, yeah. 98. Ha- have fun being white. Yeah. It's been easy your whole life. So you're just, I mean, it sounds like, to me, it sounds like you were just fighting, I don't know, culture. Right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. Is that, That's- is that. I don't know, this is before Twitter. And so what do you do when you want to make a change, when you want things to be different? Protest. You you know, you, you try and figure out ways to make a, a cause a splash somewhere. Is that what you were trying to is that what you were into at that time? Yeah. I was trying to educate what I thought was wrong. I'm still doing that to this day. Yeah. I will quote it's- the founder of my Carpenters Union, Peter J. McGuire, said back in 1981, agitate, educate, organize. Yeah. And that's it's been kind of my lifeblood since. I don't know if people who are younger than us will understand, but it was not, I don't know, I don't feel like it was easy. When you talk about something like that, like to have a group of people that feel the same way, I know I had frustrations that I didn't necessarily have people that agreed with me or areas where I can even express them the way that people can talk about them on Twitter and get 20 followers where they can talk about that shit all day long. It wasn't a thing you could do back then. And so for you to have a group of people, whether you were doing it the right way, the wrong way, the the immature way, whatever, you had a group of people that you had a a feeling of commonality with um, that I think is much more accessible now. So that's, that's why I I reference it in, in that way. If you want to protest shit, you can protest. It's super easy. Get into a, a a Reddit, a subreddit, a Twitter conversation, and now you're in it. But back then, you didn't. There was if you felt a certain way, it was like, hey, you know what? I did hear about these animals, and I do kind of feel this way, or I do feel this about whatever, and I I do want to hold a sign. And the fact that you had some people to do that, that's kind of you know, it was tough. You yeah. had to reach out to people. Yes, print stuff, put and- it on telephone poles. And look at people face to face, eye to eye, yeah. which is not something that people do now. That's the famous meme: is too many people feel comfortable talking shit on on social media and Keyboard need to get punched in the guys. face. Yes, need to get punched in the face for it. And you know, back then, you could find people straight up face to face, eye to eye. So were these people from school or people outside of oh, no. school? No, it was. Uh, I mean, once you get involved in a scene back then, um, and because I had exposure to all the stuff that was going on in Philly. My branch was a little bit larger in the counties. It's it's not so easy it's still to this day. Well, with social media and all these technologies we hold in our pocket, yes, Nikolai Tesla. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was easier to expose ourselves with what we believed in, being involved with people from like a, a city scene than out in the counties. Like out in the counties, you know, we were four or five people to a school district. Mm-hmm. And now, like when we're going down to the city, we're a couple hundred, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were different. Yeah. And we came down to West Philly before it was gentrified. People were cool with us. 
That's cool. We had conversations with them and they were, they were cool. We never caught any flack and it was not a good neighborhood. Right. That we were in. What part of Philly? 38th and Lancaster. Oh yeah. Hoagie city. Hoagie city. That sounds so. That's where (laughs) I would want to hang. You could go there as a young teenager and buy 40 ounces of beer. Yeah. You could do that in Ambler. That's when I grew up in Ambler, like in South Ambler, Chestnut Street. And then, you know, before Casey's Alley was Casey Alley, whatever that was before. It had just like a slide window. And yeah, you could just grab a 40 from, from Ambler at that bar there back in the day. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't I was, drink back then. And I was in South Ambler. So it was just like a walk around the corner. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, pop them. It adds to the ambiance. Uh, Derek also brought a a dogfish 120 minute IPA, which has been aged how long? Do you think? Uh, I think we're at four years now. Four years. So if this podcast goes awry, that's why. <laughs> Special occasions. Special occasion. I like it. So middle school to high school, you kind of start getting a little bit, I don't know, organized in your thoughts and your point of view. Um, you got some crew, you're going to the city, you've got mohawks to long hair to color hair. Um, but at some point, and you also mentioned before we start recording, you mentioned that you have always worked since you were like 12. As soon as I got to taste the money, I always like work with my hands. Uh, at 12 years old, what kind of job do you do? Anything that would pay me if it was lawn work, uh, working with some of the cousins uncles pop my father yeah i definitely grew up blue collar yeah everybody had a trade and it was cool get my ass told to hurry up pay attention and get my hands dirty and it wasn't so cool back then but reflecting (laughs) on it now it's it's great because I pride myself on being able to, when somebody snaps their fingers, fixing things. When you say hurry up, you mean as a kid, like doing a job and you're doing it kind of slow and they're going, hey, hurry up because we have more shit we have to do. Yes. Don't, don't talk. Don't think. Just listen. Are you done yet? Yeah. So, you know, I, for a little bit of time, I did some kitchen work and I, I cooked. I remember there was a conversation I would have because I'd always be like maybe like 10 minutes later than everyone else when we'd have to like do line up. Uh, before we'd open and i remember the head chef pulling me aside and saying hey man listen like we all like you but when you come in in the morning at 6 a.m you know it could take you like 25 minutes to kind of really get yourself going talking and and conversating you're a little distracted and all that but it's like yo we need you to boom 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 is that like what you mean with with hurrying hurry like it was kind of like we need you to constantly be on an urgent timeline and learn how to have fun and conversate while you're doing it and not stop and do it. You're correct. With with the kitchen profession, I don't know because I only dishwashed mm-hmm. and served for a very short period of time. Yet I'm a food geek and I know a couple of top chefs. I'm going to shout out to Young, owner of multiple Top sushi spots in the area. Oh, shout them out. I want to know. I love sushi. Give me a name. Give me one. Young Kim. He. he what's, his, what's his spot? He had a little spot that was uh, Bluefin. 
Oh yeah, Ray, Bluefin, yeah, Ray absolutely. And East Norton, and yeah. it was kind of like you felt like you were in Goodfellas when you had used the restroom through the kitchen. <laughs> but I was super polite. the The food speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, my non sushi fans who said they would never go there. Once I take them there, they tell me your connection to this place because I feel like I feel like Danielle mentioned this, and now people have been talking about it, and she's been tagging or saying like you should have told me or tell me your connection again to this place. Besides, your friend is there. Did you do work there? I tried to. <laughs> he knew my intentions. Okay, he knew I just wanted to get into the kitchen, get that kind of education, something yeah. I didn't have, and I was putting it willing to put in the hard work. Yet, I brought him a beer. That blew him away. And my line to him was, you're a magician with my mouth. He said, you keep up those compliments and bring in those beers. I'll make anything you want. Love it. That was like 15 plus years ago. And when the food's good and it's simple and you have a great staff and communication with people, it goes a long way. Since then, he moved down the street like the Arbor Freight. His read in the same complex. I think the Green Turtle just opened up a spot mm-hmm. almost in a shared building. And then he opened up a spot in Valley Kimwood, right on City Line. Mm. Yeah. Out in Exton and has ties with Umai down in Reading Terminal Market. Yeah. And I just like to pop my head in every once in a while. So you're just good people to them. That's all it is. He just had a he just had a birthday recently and announced his second pregnancy. And I popped in. You know your sister puts it out there like you are like you mention your name, you get fifteen percent off the check. Like that's how your sister puts it out there. <laughs> that's not how it goes. <laughs> this is this is still a business, okay, and listen. I think every small town business should charge their friends an actual price yes. because otherwise it won't be a small town business. I have a few friends that are bartenders, and when I go out, I like to tip. I like to over tip them for being one for being friendly, for being a great bartender. But number two, for giving me extra attention and making the night extra fun, I like to over tip them for doing their job as if they're actually doing their job. What you said about over tipping the bartenders, you should always tip your service employees because. In the states, or at least in PA, we only pay them two fifty an hour as a wage, which is crap. It, Did you ever do service work? Very little. What does that mean? I worked at X Spring House. I oh. know, my sister kind of got me in with that one. Yeah, like retirement home type of Correct. stuff. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Do you have to get a tuberculosis test? Uh, it's fun. Fuck. I remember going to uh, Artman Home and applying for a job there when I was a teenager. And they were like, hey, I get these three tests and the tuberculosis thing. And I was like, man, I always get like the flu when I get a tuberculosis test. <laughs> so I don't think I'm out. Did you have anything in school? I, so I know you went to tech school, obviously. That's kind of been the theme of a few episodes whenever people talk about tech school. You're kind of the first. So you and... Uh, one of my buddies, Josh Taylor, one of my best, one of my actual friends from high school who I just saw this weekend, um, are kind of like two of the the more, you know, the faces that kind of come to mind when people talk about tech school. But prior to tech school, did you like school? Did you like what you were, did you like just the, the subjugated education and then, you know, you have gym and, and alternative classes that you can take electives did did you like it was there anything you were drawn to school was difficult for me like gym 
like the more alternative classes, always like work on my hands. I took things apart as a child and broke them. But even at the age of six, I took things apart and fixed them. Like what? I fixed the lamp when I was a young kid, just trying to help out around the house. My parents had questions about it and while they were discussing it, uh, I fixed the lamp. I was six years old, fell asleep in their bed and they woke me up and they asked me about it and I thought I was in trouble and they were like, it works. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? And they were like, no, with a puzzled look on their face. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I loved to take stuff apart. I loved tiny screwdrivers. Once I realized there were different screwdrivers than the regular Phillips head screwdrivers and there were like small size ones that could go into, you know, like pocketed screw. I don't even know what the right term is, but like, you know, when you get your stereo, your first radio, your first stereo, your first tape deck. And you go, I want to take this motherfucker apart and see what the speakers look like and see what whatever. I used to do stuff like that, but I never did anything with that. At what point did for you taking stuff apart, trying to fix things? And this is before YouTube, the Internet, before you can just look online and say, oh, I'm going to fix this lamp. I'm going to fix this whatever in the house. How did you, I guess, how did you progress through that passion and to make it an actual passion to where you say, I want to go to tech school? I always saw my relatives, like every man in my life, being able to fix something hmm. or yell at another male <laughs> family member in their life because they were supposed to be good at it and not being able to fix it in the timely manner that they thought mm -hmm. was adequate and i was just going my hands i i love like i really enjoyed like the the time in the boy scouts any wood shop i was able to take and because of that when i went to tech school my aptitude test was really good mm -hmm. so i had a difficult time in tech school because i was punk rock mm -hmm. and different and uh, the tech teacher gave me a hard time, which any student resents that. At what point do you did you go to tech school? What grade does that happen? For me, I went to uh, North Monaco Votech in Lansdale at ninth grade. Ninth grade, so right. So you so you're not only learning. So Wizahickon is different than a lot of the other schools in our area. And that ninth grade was high school. Most of uh, our area ninth grade is still middle school so you are now in a brand new school in ninth grade and now you're also going to another brand new school for the second half of your day at north penn Mon uh, north what is it called Mon uh, north monco north monco that just seems so i don't know overwhelming i remember my first year i remember my first day of going to high school and we walked through when no one else was there to kind of give us the overall landscape of the building. And then you go back when everyone's there and it looked like a totally different building to me. I didn't remember anything because there were an extra 9,900 kids there. So you're going to, you're going to regular school for the first, you're going to high school for the first time was a heck. And now you're moving on to tech school at the second half of your day. Yep. Is that not overwhelming? It wasn't because I was intrigued to be there. I wanted to see what they have to offer. It was something different. And at that point in my life, I was 
so interested in, in something different. I mean, the books weren't working for me, which is crazy because as an adult, they are now. Yeah. And I struggled in my earlier school years with my grades and just got by. And, mm -hmm. and that sucks to say. You look back on it now and you're like, if I would have put a little bit more effort into it, maybe I would have got more out of it. Yet once I had the vocational under my belt, I wanted to go to school every day and my grades went way up in your other subjects i actually started getting a's you weren't engaged no nah, and I, I hope my, i hope i make the parents proud on that one they've been, yeah. they've been waiting for that listen like that's <laughs> I, I think that's you know i had a conversation with someone else i can't remember which episode but we talked about you know reading and i was the worst at um at mandated reading i loved i like to read i used to read wrestling magazines and I would read pages and pages of articles and we would have a sign reading where you had to read, you know, this book or that book. And my mom would say, you know, he, he reads magazines, news stories. It's about fake, fake fighting, but I still would read them, you know, long, long articles. And that being able, my teacher was finally sent Mrs. Lawrence, third grade Madison. You too. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, cool. If that's what he's reading. Great. Just have him write about that. And once I was able to do that, it was like it wasn't like this chore where everything I had to do was something I was completely disinterested in. Is that what what kind of became for you? Absolutely. For me, it was car magazines and I am still dyslexic. Yeah. It is difficult. I have to slow down my reading. Did you ever know that you were dyslexic? As a they, kid? They didn't have it back then. Yeah. But so. they did. That was a thing. That was definitely a thing. It was so there's a lot of things that were frowned upon. And that's one of the the really cool things about having you here is because one of my fascinations with tech school in general is that I feel like it was so frowned upon. And there's so many things nowadays that we I don't want to say catered to, because I feel like that that means like we're we're taking a step down, but that we um understand and learn how to integrate and a couple of the things are our mental illness learning disabilities and when people are dyslexic or or have reading issues or just learning disabilities in general certain things where they need to learn at a different way at a, at a different pace um that wasn't a thing in the in the 80s and 90s that we catered to nor were we i didn't feel like we were accepting to I think in our generation, like the edge of the 90s is when they started acknowledging that and then pumping us full of meds. Oh, uh, yeah. And everybody learns differently. Yeah. Which is why when I, I talk to people and I tutor and stuff along those lines, I tell people there's... The only dumb question is the one you don't ask. The only dumb answer is the one I give you when you hear the, oh, that's a dumb question. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. Everybody learns differently and I'm definitely a product of that. So I don't want to judge anybody who 
took a longer time learning than somebody who was very quick. It, it, it took me till ninth grade to want to be interested in going to school and learning subjects. And I wish I would have learned more back then. Yet I'm still learning every day. A lot of people want to listen to the radio on a construction site. Mm-hmm. And I've got Bluetooth earbuds with one earbud in and I'm listening to audiobooks about nonverbal communication, mm-hmm. poker tells, That's cool. human interaction, yeah. public speaking. When you uh, when you learned that you were dyslexic, what what was done about that at that point within the school? I guess again, I don't have a good answer. You're asking pretty good questions. <laughs> it's okay if nothing. It's okay. That, I, that's I, kind I of a, if it's nothing. If it was just you were left in your normal math English classes, then that's that's the answer. I yeah, I don't remember anything being done about. That it's almost comical when they're like, okay, it's public reading time for everybody in the class. We're going to go alphabetical order for embarrassment. Yeah. Right. You're C. Yeah. You're I'm like first one, up. Yeah. You're first. Which as a public speaker, I could care less right now if I'm first or if I'm last. Sure. But now as an adult, <laughs> you, you're able to to kind of arm yourself with with realistic thoughts in that no one no one worth a damn is going to actually make fun of you now uh if you take your time everyone's going to be completely fine with that and even just if you're if you just gotten better you know what i mean like it's it's just such a different world now to where back then i feel like it had a connotation and that's where i feel like the tech school um stereotype really kicked in i mentioned with your sister and others I, i feel like the reputation was that you're leaving school at 1150. You're going to some other school somewhere. It must not be as good. That's the reputation that everyone, that's the stereotype that was kind of, but that's not the case. You were learning something completely. You were learning something valuable. How did you learn about tech school? It's, it's, do you learn about it in eighth grade? Ninth, when you start in ninth grade, do you learn about it in eighth grade to sign up prior to? At the end of eighth grade, we had the privilege to learn about it, that we were had the capability of going to it as long as we had interest and the aptitude test proved that we'd be a good candidate for said fields. There was a construction cluster that I went through. What I does ca- that mean, a cluster? So there was multiple. There was like mechanics. There was carpentry that I went to. And I don't remember... I don't know if there was one or two others and that is poor of me to not know them because one of those, the teachers, uh, Nelson Newton is still very active in his retired years mm. as to help progress the students that are there. Cause once it's in your blood, you just want to give back to those people. Mm. So you get there and for me, I loved working with my hands with people that work with their hands or labor industry. The number one rewarding industry is heavy equipment operation. Hmm. In my opinion, you're just driving a big toy all day long. Hmm. So you're like, we? 
like a truck or a forklift or a farm equipment, anything. Yeah. And the second is like a a hard labor employee, whether it's construction or something of a mechanics level, Mm -hmm. because with your actual hands at the end of the day, your fruits of labor hold an object. You can see it. Everybody can see it. Mm. And if it's a poor product, everybody can see it. If it's a quality product, everybody can see it. So there's no, oh, said other coworker did bad moves to make my work look poor. Right. So with the tech school, your work is your performance. Mm-hmm. And when we were going to school, as far as I know, everybody said, go to college, go to college, go to college. And that wasn't for me. The books weren't working for me. Yet when I went to vocational school, I got special permission from a teacher who did not care for me because I was punk rock or different. And he let me take the books home. Hmm. The vocational books. Yes. So, so the vocational books stay in school normally? I guess so. Maybe maybe he was bluffing me. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll let you take them home because you're showing some interest. Sure. Which is fine because yeah. it worked. I was like, he likes me, mm-hmm. but he hates me. Yeah. And it worked. And it, made, it drove me to want to learn more, to try harder. And- he was hard on me. It was it was tough, and I still got good grades, even though he was difficult on me. What kind of class was this? This was the the carpentry cluster. Carpentry. Yeah, so it was general carpentry uh, from top to bottom. So I think he got way too much pleasure out of it one time, and I'm just going by his facial response. Like I I almost think like when he went around the corner, he started kicking his hands up in the air. <laughs> So they they teach us how to drywall and then spackle and then paint. Mm. And he's like, you did really good. And then he cocked his foot back so far and then put it through the wall. And he goes, now it's time to repair it, which is something we all have to do as a tradesperson. I've done that just as a person once. (laughs) Put my foot right through a drywall. And and I think, because I know the look on my face was like, my project. As my voice goes out. <laughs> this is this is 15-year-old you, though. <laughs> my project. My project. Oh, my gosh. And he, I'm pretty sure he giggled to himself. He goes, <laughs> yeah, finally got that little, little punk rock effort. Yet, him being tough on me challenged me and made me better. And I finished 92nd percentile in the state. Wow. Is this senior? That's for senior, senior? Yeah. yeah. And what's the progression from ninth grade through 12th, four years through vocational technical school? You start in the, in the carpentry cluster. It's pretty basic. It's like an advanced wood shop from what you would see in like maybe fourth, fifth grade to middle school. Tech ed type of stuff. Correct. Cutting some, some stuff, learning how to do some measurements. Yeah. Messing around, not paying attention. And that's where I believe the whole stereotype of, not paying attention to other classes comes from. But you had to take all of your core classes. You had to take English, social yeah. studies, I actually, science, math. 
I finished my mainstream class in uh, 11th grade for math. You're just not taking music. Oh, I took music. You took music too? Hell yeah. What do you so what are you missing when you go to tech school? What is it that you're not when you leave for the Any second electives. half of the day? So I feel like music would be one of those. Yeah, but I'm a boss in music. <laughs> you, you worked in it anyway. <laughs> like not music, chorus. Like, did you did you miss chorus? Did you miss I did miss chorus. Yeah. So I'm, cor- I missed a lot of that stuff. And you could fill that in after high school, right? Yeah. Can you? Sure. Yeah. You could fill it all in after high school. Yeah, I mean, as an activity in general, I was just curious in, in, in reality, what it was it what was it that I was what was I taking that you weren't getting in your curriculum? Got all my mainstream classes, yeah. ran through math. So the whole just the whole stereotype of they're leaving halfway through the day. By the way, we're in the market and there's a motorcycle outside. Just want to let people know that. That's so, a it's a weak motorcycle. Oh, he needs a bigger motor. I like that you can hear that. Yeah. So the idea that you're sk- you're leaving school halfway through the day to get out of your classes, it's it's completely false because you're taking all of your major subjects. You're just not taking electives. Correct. Everybody, I can't say everybody. Majority of the people on that bus wanted to go to that school, wanted to learn. We all had a bond. We all still kind of like talk about it. So I'm now on the occupational advisory committee for North Monaco. Mm. And when I post on social media about going there, people give me a little attaboy, little social media like pat on the back. And then they, they comment and say like, I got my career because of that. And I'm still working in that field. Yeah. 20 years later, it's a great feeling. I know my friends always kind of thought that they were going to work on cars or construction in some way. Did you know that once you're kind of in the swing of things with construction, carpentry, you're now kind of 10th, 11th grade. Did you know that this is what you're going to do? Did you feel that or? Absolutely. At I don't think, and I forget which the titles of them were, if it was co-op or pie-up. I don't think I was able to get into that in my 11th grade year, yet I did get into it my 12th grade year, where you can leave for a day or two and go start participating in that trade with a company that is basically sponsoring you, which is similar to what we do with my union, and then go back to school you got to achieve because now you have less days at school mm. to achieve and still be in the program where you get to go and earn money and be active in the workforce. Yeah. So it's not as difficult or it is as difficult as being in regular school. Is that the term everyone when you, use? When you say work. Is that after school? No. Or is that that's like once you leave Wizzahickon? Correct. At like 11.50? Correct. You would actually, and it's tough for companies because they're taking on- Half an employee. Yeah. (laughs) A a child. It's not even half an employee. It's- It's training training someone to work with them who you know is going to leave by the time they graduate. Possibly. Yeah. Absolutely possibly. And How How does that work for you? So you're in the cluster of carpentry- automatically you're like this, I want to do carpentry. I want to stay in carpentry. This is absolutely, there was no like 
hey, maybe I need to get into mechanics or plumbing or it was this is you were you were cool to where the path you were on once you were in your path in Votech. I was with the other clusters. I gravitated towards that one and I've excelled at it ever since I built six custom homes out of the ground, whether it was going to the middle of a field with surveyor equipment. Not yet. You weren't though. You were just, we went through that stuff. It was pretty basic back then. The programs are pretty good. And that's why I still like to donate um, material and equipment that I get because of my exposure to my profession and my union to the vocational school. But when you were, when you're in high school and you're, and you're taking these classes, you're not building houses. We did my senior year. Really? Yes. We built a rancher. Uh, it was a, a modular home. Yeah. And it's, which it's, is all the craze now. Everyone's into tiny homes, modular homes. That's what everyone loves now. Do they? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, millennials love that shit. What was the point where you realized carpentry is is the... There's so many different aspects of construction, building things, taking things apart. You're doing lamps when you're a kid. It's electronic. At what point did you realize carpentry specifically this is what i want to do the the woodworking aspect really caught my attention there's so many different avenues you can go with that and now the products out there mdf medium density fiberboard is just glued together fine sawdust it's a, a junk product unless you're excessively gluing it and painting it mm. That's it. But that's what most speaker cabinets in your house and your vehicle are made out of. When I knew I wanted to push through because I was having a hard time with the instructor, it was either late 10th grade or early junior year. And I went to the guidance counselor and I mentioned like dropping out and starting my own business. Now, in her head, she was probably laughing at me. Just is this the one that put his foot through your wall? Yeah. Yeah. Just it was just kept going like that. Yeah. Yeah. He was tough on me. Yeah. I, I mean, as you should be. And I'm a product of tough love yeah. and support. And this instructor or this guidance counselor said to me, most guys can't make it in his class. Two weeks to two months. Wow. And you've been there for two years. Wow. Why don't you give me another couple months and then we come back and have a conversation? Wow. So I'm sure she probably went and said something to him like, hey. Lighten up. Lighten up. He's made it this far. Yeah. He's close. You're close to breaking him. Let him make Pump it. Pump the brakes. Yeah. And I don't think he lightened up that much, but maybe that was the boost of confidence I needed. And then I got into the union, I think it was like uh, a year, roughly a year after graduating, building a bunch of homes. Like I said, I built six custom homes out of the ground. Before that though, before you joined the union though, so you're, you're, what is graduation like for tech school? You get that wall hanger in the mail. 
But what do you actually, what is the actual curriculum for graduating in tech school? Passing. Just pass, like the work you were doing. So you were, you were doing, you did a modular home. Yeah. Tom Ridge gave me a little signature on a certificate. That's cool. Was that cool? Was that not cool to you? You've got two graduations happening. I guess I'm trying to find the dichotomy of you're graduating from public from from regular old public school with a hicken, but you're also graduating from tech school. That's a good way to look at it. I never looked at it like that before. And I should have. Yeah. Because I was so ready to join the workforce at that point that I never looked at it like that. I was probably too confident. I got this. I got this. 92 percentile Tom Ridge sign right here. Got this. So everything at this show is kind of like built on as far as like was Hicken specific and graduating going on. All that was I don't mean it as a, you know, as a, as a jokingly slate to me. I just mean it's kind of interesting that, you know, people who are just in was a Hicken specifically and you're graduating, you're, you're looking at that was never your focus in any way it really was all about tech school and going off into the workforce, what they were preparing you for. When you put it like that and I have to reflect on it. Yeah. Yeah. At, at any point where you like, you know, you're still doing your other major subjects at was Hicken at any point where you thinking, I like this, I want to do this in regular school. You're always straight to the workforce with tech school. No, I loved, uh, I love my hometown crew. Love growing up in Ambler. I love knowing that I came from West Hicken. One of the electives I got to take, uh, one was Woodshop, one was CAD, with my man, Mr. Dixon. And I was the only senior in both classes. Hmm. It was weird. Yeah. What's that like? <laughs> so it's all underclassmen with you. It, it was just weird. Like I was so focused because, like, with Woodshop, I had already had all of that. So I was a pro. So he kind of looked at me in that, in that class, like you better bring your a game because I'm relying on you to pick up the underclassmen. Mm. One of my childhood best friends, Mike Mastroni was in that class. And so like kind of put him under my wing. I was like, I'll get you through this. Mm. And it's simpler, but it's skills that everybody should learn. How to just cut wood, make it square, use the correct nails, fasteners. Always use nails now. Sometimes they're screws. <laughs> Soft voice interjection. <laughs> when uh, everyone's graduating and you're and looking at college, you're not looking at college. Not even that wasn't the thing to do. I, I feel like the connotation was weak if you were not going to go to college if you were going to get a job you were getting a job because you couldn't go to college i feel like that was the reputation that everyone would kind of spread around is that how did you feel about i saw the numbers and the construction financial numbers yeah, yeah. i i did not so the public perception never swayed never swayed you all. worried you none of that you were it was about the money that for you I, I, I saw the numbers. You had a passion, but then the numbers just solidified it. I mean, who could turn themselves away from that? Coming right out of high school, you've already been working in the field that you love yeah. and reflect on every day. And now they're saying like, 
all right, you're going to be making twice the minimum wage. All right. To start out. I mean, you understand how this is so different from, from everyone else where we're all geared towards college, college, college. And normally at this point, I would ask you, is there something you wanted to do? But you were doing this already from you were working at 12 years old. You were taking stuff apart. This is what you wanted to do. It just so happened that Wizik and had a partnership with this school to be able for you to be able to go there. And it just kind of fell into place. There was no other avenue that you dreamed yourself of being in. You wanted to work and you wanted to work with your hands. Absolutely. And I want to go on a little bit of a tangent because- I got to start with a family-owned construction company, and they exploited me a little bit. I was saying those numbers earlier, and they weren't justified what I was getting with them. I didn't get any health benefits, which is junk. They relied on the benefits I got from being under my mother's wing. Right. And I, uh, I think it was a fifth or sixth house I built the guy I was working on a Saturday and the owner of the company came in with like a box truck with all the tools in it and took my car and went and drove off to go do estimates. That's what he told me. And I at 17, 18 years old was left with working on a house with subcontractors. They had that much confidence in me. And the guy I'm going to say his name. Don't get weird. Harry Johnson. He came over and was like, hey, man, what are you doing here on a Saturday by yourself? Told him the story. I asked him, what the F do you do? And you're just F around in your garden. And he's like, I just retired from the Carpenters Union. Mm. Funny enough, I just passed the test. He said, let me put you in touch with a guy who will take care of you. And that was the one little connection I need because I didn't know anything about that. Nobody from the union came out to my vocational school or any of the schools like we do now, like I do now. Yeah. And... That's all I needed was that one little foot in the door was from that guy. And I got to see him like six years after that. And I was like, dude, I owe you like a bottle of wine or a <laughs> beer at the bar. Yeah. I ended up buying a house like right across one of the, the rivers from wow. my my first house. I bought it back in 2004. And it's it's all been uphill since then. And that's the thing with my union. Once you come and take our test, we pay you to go to school. You get college credits for completing our program. Mm. You get benefits from the moment you get in. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the hard math right now. Yeah, No we, math. No math. I'm, I'm really good at it. I'm just going to keep the averages. when Round it off. When you're in the city, it's almost 50 bucks an hour plus like $30. Those are all rough numbers for fringe benefits. And in the counties, it's over 40 bucks an hour. To start, you get 40% of that 
to start. Wow. And we pay you and we educate you while we're doing it. When you talked about classes, where does that, when you talk about like taking classes after the fact, where does that all happen? We have one large school down in Northeast Philly, not far from the Nabisco plant. We have one up there. What is the school? The Joiner Apprentice Committee. Okay. And we teach all the trades. So we do millwrights, floor laying, pile driving, like, and then every aspect. Pile driving? Yes. Now, you know I'm a big wrestling fan. That's not Derek. what you're thinking. It's not. It's bridge building. Oh, God. So it's, it's underwater welding. Oh, it is God. badass. I thought it was like, oh, listen, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff was pretty badass in his day, okay, with the pile driver. I just want to make sure we're not talking about the same thing here because some of my audience could get confused. We are not talking about the same thing. Okay. B- okay. Big cranes. Look at where you are here. You know, you're, well, when I turn around, I see your yeah, masturbation so you could, room. So you can see here how the pile driving <laughs> could get very confusing here when you, when you just drop that. On that spectrum. This is one of the reasons I had hit Brad up is because I wanted to – Shout out to the crowd possibly listening to getting into the trades because we want you. We want you to get into the trades. We want you to sign up for our apprentice program. We don't have a set date coming up this year. We will after the new year. So the phone number for the JAC, that's the Carpenter's Apprentice Program for the Philadelphia Carpenters Union is 215-824-2300. Yet the number for the audio version of when they're taking applicants for the testing is the same number, yet at the end it's 2300-03. So it's 215-824-2300. Two three zero three, and, and that's to take the test. That's to sign up for the test. Do you recommend that people be involved in tech school already? No. So this is something that even if you've been in just four years of high school, I've had apprentices that were in their fifties. Wow! So you could be at any stage really, and just have a passion and want to work. Yes. And make money. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm one of the people who do the tutoring sessions. We have them all over the, the states that we are involved in because we care about the members. We want people to get in. We want people to get involved. What's that process like? So you call the number and what happens? You sign up for the test? Correct. So you'll sign up for the test and they'll give you the set date. We have to wait for the date to be set. So you just legit don't know yet when for 2020 the test will actually be between the month of December 2019 and, say, February 2020? No. All right. So will you do me a favor and keep me updated so that over the next bunch of, you know, three to four weeks, six weeks as the podcast continues to go on, this will be here, but I will be able to give that update for people when that test actually happens. Absolutely. That'd thank be you. great. Yeah, thank you. You can follow me. Well, you can follow my union yeah. on social media. It's yeah, you can give it anything you want people to follow you on. Friends on 
friends of local Carpenters Union, local 167, or KML, Keystone Mountain Lakes Council, is our uh, large version of our council. And we are trying to step up our social media game. So you take the test, and then what happens? You say you pass. 70%. You need a 70% to pass. Okay. So you get 70% and you've passed and now you are now going to be an apprentice in the union? You need to get a sponsor. Okay. Say you don't know me and say I, I say, you know, I, I, I've heard this podcast and I want to do this and I want to take this test and I and I take the test. I find out that it's, you know, say it's sometime in beginning of January. We'll tell you when it is on the podcast. We'll keep you updated. But say it's somewhat time in early January. I take the test. I get a 79. I get an 82. What's my, what happens next? Someone reaches out to me? Correct. We will find you. Okay. We will hook you up with a job. We will try to make it geographically based where you are and get you a job. We want to employ you. you. We want you to be a member. And the act of finding a sponsor, is, this comes after you're, you're notified? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So and 70% you gra- graduate, you pass or you fail. Mm-hmm. So then are you, how do you go about the sponsor aspect of it? If you do not know somebody, you put your name on a list and there's people like me who are just reaching out to you constantly. There's people who want to include you in the culture. There's a lot of our members volunteering time saying like, Hey, as long as you give a crap, we give a crap. Did you have a sponsor? No. No. I had to fight for it. Wow. Why? Didn't know anybody, which is why I'm reflective right now. Yeah. Nobody so- came out to my trade school and said, hey, there's an organization that will back you from the moment you start working. How long did it take you then to find like the Carpenters Union? Six homes. Wow. So... You graduate from Wissahickon. You graduate from from uh, tech school. What's the first thing that happens for you from a post graduation perspective? Just what happens to start for you to start making money in your in your situation? Make money. Just start working nonstop six days a week. But that's what I mean. How how? do you, do you just start saying, Hey, I'm, I've graduated or the people that you've been working with say you're on now. I was already working with that company. How do you learn what the fuck's going on in the industry? We tell you from day one. Okay. We're, we're teaching you, we're paying you an hourly wage while you're at school and the members on the job, we're telling you like there's members like me all over the place. It's, I'm a part of a great organization and they tell you they're going to bust your chops a little bit. It's just, you worked in the kitchens. Yep. There's some stuff they're going to put you through. Chefs are sick. (laughs) Chefs are some of the sickest human creatures that could ever head chefs. They're not right. Hazing is fun to a certain extent. I, I, so is that what you're saying? Yours was kind of, I, um, all for like the term hazing as you say was, was yours painful, painful i guess no because i That's knew what I mean. like you can I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head like the bucket of steam hmm. hey kid go get a bucket of steam what does that mean 
Exactly. <laughs> so what do you do? I saw one guy do it. He actually, there was a, a slops thing down in the basement and he it had scalding hot water, which was great for the guys who were cleaning the spackle off their tools. <laughs> and he filled up a small portion of water in a bucket and brought it up with the lid on it, opened it up, steam came out. And I was clapping from across the room. Yeah. That's like in high school when they would ask, when we first came to high school, they warned us about asking where the bathroom is. And when they tell you that it's on the, it's on the second floor by the pool, there is no (laughs) second floor or pool. So what are they going to do? You just go up there and you you just, you just look as a stupid freshman. I used to get kids with like simple ones. There was the aluminum laser card magnet. Aluminum laser card magnet. Let me try and think about what this might be. So this is aluminum. It's a card that shoots a laser. But if you were put it on your refrigerator. You are overthinking it. It would stick. I got to cut you off. Wait, let me try one more time. Say one more time. Laser. Aluminum laser. Aluminum laser magnet. Aluminum laser card magnet. The laser cards messing me up. I know. So fill me in. It's a a card that has a magnet on it that we can stick to metal studs, no geez. metal ceiling grid, Jeez, and when dare. we set the laser up, <laughs> we just it's align. just multi purpose. Yeah, that's a multi purpose card. <laughs> that's great. Yet yeah, it's ferrous metals and not ferrous metals. So with the aluminum the magnet's not going to stick it doesn't right. exist right. aluminum's not, not now Jesus. so i would send these apprentices <laughs> so stupid right now <laughs> you got me i'd send these apprentices to the to the gang box to look for it i'm like hey if it sticks to the gang box <laughs> it's not the meanwhile i'm done the you're doing you're doing the, the whole ceiling. day's work and yeah this guy uh, who I did That's that clean to actually owns a company now. It's pretty successful. What uh, when you're gr- when you're you've now graduated now you're working in this in that era. You know, you're a year or two. I imagine that I know not you know not all your friends went to college, but I imagine people that you know and and from went to college from high school. What was your kind of thought process as they're away? You're making money, obviously, but was there any kind of feeling about about that? Just it's so different in life, right? The people you've all grown up with, I imagine, you know, eighty percent of them are are gone now to college, and you didn't want to do that. You wanted to work, you wanted to make money, but was there any? I don't know. First five years, the five year reunion, I still felt like the have not. Ten year reunion, those more privileged kids were asking me to get them a job. Yeah. I was, uh, I think at that point, two properties in my name. Bought my first property at 24 and uh, helping out renovate all the properties that had my last name on it, regardless of who owned them. And then that was the, the height of the recession. I was just going to say 10 years prior, so you graduate in 99. Yeah. 10 years at that point was 99 it was uh 09 and anyone that hasn't seen the big short 
that's you know that's that's when people started were buying houses that they couldn't afford were being given loans that they were never going to be able to pay um and bubbles were bursting heavy and that was on anybody who it was everyone a lot of people were not immune from that and it's not just real estate it was it was stock market it was everything everything was was crashing the banks um and shit rolls downhill very much so so you're i've always been curious about this because this is what one of the things that when we talk about tech school that we discuss or, or at least that i bring up that i think is super important now that when we were growing up in and the internet started we all kind of thought that like dot com and all that was going to be huge and then when we just when we graduated no one the dot com thing kind of burst the bubble burst on the internet and then 08 happened and the real estate bubble burst but the the reason why i've been so i don't know strong about my opinions of fuck i wish i knew about tech school better more or i, I wish i had I pushed myself to learn a trade the way other friends had learned a trade at that point was because I wish that while I'm a, and I'm a media guy, um, it's a bubble and, you know, content is premium right now, but six years ago it wasn't, there weren't networks everywhere that were just trying to buy content. And I mean, I wish I could have saved myself a hundred dollars to do this or a hundred dollars to do this or three fifty to do that. It's almost economy proof. No one's ever said, don't work a job where you can make $30, $40 an hour. That's that's just, no one's ever said, don't be a plumber. Like, that's just not a thing that people don't not ever need. They need people to work on their houses. They need people to build things. They need people to, nothing else exists without what you learn to do, doing. We create the foundation for everybody to have a roof over their head. Yeah. So, so as that's all happening, what is that like for you as you're seeing, you know, you talk about 10 years later, people are kind of like, Hey, do you have, jo-? I mean, as you're seeing that kind of progress, and I know you said for the first five years, you kind of felt, eh, but then the next five years and so on, what's that kind of like to watch that progression happen? It was tough. I was very fortunate. Uh, I had a couple properties and I went from working a 40 hour work week to starving myself, like working around the clock after that. Yet while I was going to that 40 hour work week, there was guys showing up on jobs asking to sell their tools Mm. or for me to put metals on the side of a dumpster outside the fence so they can go and scrap it, which we had to do because they were going to break into the job anyways. Mm And with the real estate adventure, nobody told me that there was a recession about to hit. So I had to work around the clock just to to break even over a 27-month period. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it was bad. And I've always put money aside because of that. And it was tough. Uh, we had an investor hold out for 10 months, which is why it was a 27 month adventure. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot of what not to do yeah. in real estate because of that adventure. Our economy in this area 
just like every other part of the economy in the country, was hit. We weren't hit that bad. In Florida, in many points in Florida, they were, it was, it was three to one, five to one on their payouts. And here, like a $250 house was going for like a buck 80 if it was in poor condition. Mm, that's not much. That's not awful. No. I'm, I've had friends that got short sailed, yet it wasn't terrible. And we have so many pharmaceutical manufacturers in this area. Mm -hmm. We've got nuclear pants, oil refineries. Yeah. The largest retail square footage mall in the country. I don't care what the Mall of America says. We don't need a roller coaster. Willow Grove? Plymouth Meeting? Montgomery? Bro. Plymouth Meeting? I have no idea. King of Prussia. Oh, my God. I don't. I never go there. Jesus, you're right. <laughs> Jesus, it is an abyss there. God damn it. I never so, go to that place. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's crazy to think because we have... Well, Montgomery County is right now the number, because I said it in the last podcast with Kim, but Montgomery County was at the time the number one, the, the wealthiest um, county in Pennsylvania. Now it's number two, but it is up there in the top three and has been since we've grown here. We are are super fortunate. Yeah. Especially being ambler based, Wissick and based. Uh, we grew up, we were kind of like the black eye on uh, the county when... I don't know whatever asshole news reporter, I wish I knew his name, said like we were the crack haven of oh. the area and showed the theater with the missing letter. In Ambler? And, yeah. Oh my God. And that's when we were growing up. Yeah. And like our parents were making, like they were like, this is, a good area like we can it was being built i mean when you look at it now our parents staying there as long as and we all grew up there it built that place to stay with with families of three four five buying homes i got outbuilt on so many properties yeah, in allowed that, that place to become what it is now to be a, a mini knockoff maniunk absolutely that's a great description of it yeah or Concha Hocken or, you know, any, any one of those, it, it's just not a long enough, Butler Pike's just not a long enough street to be a, a Concha Hocken. But our, you know, our parents lived, bought houses, rented, paid in taxes, school district, all that for it to become not long after we grew up there. Pretty booming town. Yeah. It's pretty good when you look at towns like, when you look at cities like Detroit. Philadelphia, parts of Philadelphia that just can't overcome. I know. I got a lot of pride when it comes to Ambler. Yeah. So I'm down here crushing this podcast. <laughs> so when you, um, you're doing carpentry and houses now are on the low, 2008, 9, 10, does that affect the industry? No, it was booming after that. People couldn't wait to start buying again. Wow. Because people had to downsize, move back into uncomfortable settings. Uh, parents, um, other family members 
So they they couldn't wait to to buy and move back out. And that's we are a very reflective market for doing that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bu- business. I mean, it was tough for me. I didn't have to suffer too much. I had to start focusing too much of my time to get that property. And when I say like break even, I lost 27 months of profits Mm. just to get to the market price number. Mm -hmm. And it was tough. Do you still have that property? No. So it's gone. You you, you just wash your hands of it and And whatever you lost, you lost or whatever you broke even on, you broke even on. Took me a couple of years before I could even drive by it. Yeah. Wow, it's tough. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's something that people I hope don't have to experience. That was a real thing in in our era. Yeah, I went to Hatfield University. Everything not to do in real estate. Mm-hmm. And I got a good, hard education. Yeah, could be worse. It could be worse. It could be worse. You rebounded. You're able to rebound. What's that like for for the industry as things start to ramp back up again for you we, seven years ago? We had to accelerate uh, the apprentice testing date because we knew how many high rises were coming out of the ground. Mm. If we don't have that younger workforce ready by the time the warmer weather hits, concrete's being poured, steel's being set on top of it. We're behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. We're behind the curve. So just like every part in the country, we got hit. Yet we didn't get hit as bad as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons I love this area. We're so resilient. We came out of there like a rocket. Being yeah. shot out of a cannon, fist up in the air. Yeah. Where was your general work? Where was that base? Was it Philadelphia? Was it in the suburbs? Where where were you doing your work? My local union is based out of the suburbs of Philadelphia. Yet I work everywhere, which is the privilege I have for being mm-hmm. a union member. I can go up to Maine. I can go up to Canada, wow. Alaska, California, Hawaii. I can work anywhere in the country. And get paid the rate that you, yes, your your class deserves yes. is, is mandated. Yeah, because um, we are educated and we have proof of it. Mm-hmm. I traveled a little bit. I had so many roots here, and I love staying involved and trying to better the union in the area. So mm-hmm. it kind of kept me from straying outside to to other counties, states, all all that. I've seen so many of my brethren that I've met over the years at our uh, international training center. One guy who- Where's that at? uh, In Vegas. Vegas. Nice. It's- (laughs) Nice. As soon as I say that, everybody's like, oh my God. No, I listen, I've I've done business stuff in Vegas, so I know what that's like. You get- you have to keep your game face yep. on. Like we have a campus. Yep. And if you, it's it's uh, like almost a 10 minute ride to New Vegas. It's mm-hmm. like a 15 minute ride to Fremont, like old Vegas. Yep. And you can go be an adult. Sure. 
if you don't come back and get your stuff done, you're out the program. There's real hours. Yeah, there's real hours happening and you got to be able to. You don't have down. to leave our campus. Like everything's free when you're there. Yeah, that's cool. There's a gym, a bar, a cafeteria. Yeah. You don't have to leave. Yeah. But you got to leave a little bit. A little bit. It's like. <laughs> She got to be an adult. What's your favorite thing to do in the work space? The most custom work. I want to challenge. I want to challenge all day, every day, whether it's communication or with my hands. I did almost five years in King of Prussia Mall. Hmm. And the, the custom work that you do in there is great and what sucks about the Ganger Brush Mall is if your store that you built isn't making it, they are cutthroat. You are gone. The rent is too high there. Wow. So you are out. But your store stay the store you built stays, they just put another tenant in. No, they tear that stuff down. Really? The whole store gets they, torn down? Oh yeah. Well the, sp- the space gets torn down? Yeah. Wow. I don't go to the King of Prussia Mall ever. Yeah, I can't afford it. Yeah, I just don't live near there and I won't drive there. The Nordstrom Rack is pretty sweet there, though. It's my favorite Nordstrom yeah. Rack. I love, I love building custom stuff. I was, uh, I'm still working Is it the on... design aspect or is it the grandiose, unique? It's the grandiose. I, I mean, the terminology now is like, oh, you can't do that? Hold my beer? Mm-hmm. Bring it. As soon as somebody's like, oh, that's too difficult or complex, I'm like, step aside, kid. I got it. I don't care how old you are. Yeah. If you don't want the challenge. If I could take it back to high school, did you have a favorite class outside of tech? Did you have an aspect of, of school that you truly enjoyed outside of tech school from the Wizahickens standpoint? I really enjoyed the one home at class. I excelled in the class. I was a vegetarian at the time. That was one of the things, like after being done math in 11th grade, they were like, you have to take electives. So I said, all right, as long as they don't make me eat meat. Mm-hmm. Like Wissa Hicken was going to put their knee on your throat like Nazi Germany mm-hmm. and put meat down. You're going to eat this, Texas Tommy. Fucking eat it. Texas Tommy's my favorite cafeteria lunch. <laughs> So I was good with my hands at that time. And that's one of the traits or trades crafts I might actually pursue when I'm retired is home like cooking? Yeah. Yeah. Everything. I, I just could see a, that. I won a food competition recently. Um I feel like we've kind of like gone through was there anything that you specifically i mean i want to i want to hit on some of the union stuff as far as the official what you're looking for for enrollment and stuff but was there anything in general that you were hoping to talk about that we didn't hit on if we haven't spoke about it you can hit me up on social media derek Cataldi, d-e-r-e-k-c-a-t-a-l-d-i if not uh friends of carpenters local union 167 hit us up we want to organize you we want to better ourselves we want to better you that being said 
Brad, what's the main reason you wanted to do this podcast? For me, just as a, you know, from a producer standpoint, we've talked about you now three times. Your sister's been on the show. Um, she hates when we talk about you. So I just felt like it was a really natural progression to hear it straight from you rather than to talk about the stereotypes of what the idea of a tech school student was and to hear really, you know, um, the benefits of going through the actual system. And I saw it because I worked at Wawa. And so at 7 a.m. when I'd be there for my morning shift, you'd be there getting coffee. So I knew you were grinding on the weekends, making money. And um, I respect that. And I think all that is super relevant and interesting and fascinating with today because it's what you hear people talking about now when you hear about you know people who have lost skills that aren't used anymore when you talk about people who are in coal, coal mines and people who um, you know work in certain tech industries and they're just not a thing anymore. And they go, well, what are we going to do with it? And then I think about you for 20 years, you haven't run out of work. Building houses, cutting wood, designing shit has not gone out of style. It hasn't died. So all that is really, really, really interesting to me. And I think in the same way as, you know, hearing about Jason Herb and his battles with alcoholism, I think hearing from Derek Atalti and his successes with working with his hands and not being afraid of the stigma and pushing towards a passion of building stuff. I think it's a great story for people who are in the age that we were in then to hear about, to feel like they can learn from that. It's a nine minute answer, but that's all the reasons why. That's not nine minutes. It was a very confident and well-spoken answer. Thank you. So on that, how is this podcast and your spectrum and relevance with the communication industry been a confidence builder for you? I never realized that people that we went to high school with actually cared about that era. I never thought that people outside of myself and maybe a few others hadn't an actual interest in revisiting or thinking about what they were going through at that time and to think that things could be done differently or to think that they were thinking about things in a, the wrong way compared to how they think about things now or just in the fact that they, that they just don't even relate to that person that they were then. When you release these episodes, people say, people comment on things where you just go, oh, wow. I see things exactly the way so-and-so sees them. But 14 years ago, that wasn't the case. And just life has brought a lot of people to a very similar point of view. I wouldn't change anything I went through. Hardships, none of it. And some of it I suffered through as every human being should to a certain aspect. Sure. Would you change anything? That I did? Yeah. Yes. I, and I, but I, I don't know that I had the tool set to change them. I wish I could have been more focused on education. I wish I could have gotten 
um, a more head start. I don't know that I would have changed my point of view in like a trade, but I wish that I had taken myself mentally to where I am today to, you know, be able to create this podcast or, or other things that I've created in my past from a creative standpoint. I think I didn't believe in my own ideas that they were unique enough or special enough or, I used to think that everyone had this exact same idea or what I was thinking wasn't cool. Um, I wish I had the confidence then to move forward because I think I, I, I could have put this podcast out 15 years ago. That being said, yeah. you could have, I could have a hundred percent could have, but I didn't, I didn't believe in the idea or in the thought that, people I, I didn't think about how people thought back then my brain wasn't able to think about how other people thought and so the idea of over the last like year or so of thinking like no I know other people think this way I know this is good that wasn't my mindset back then I think I thought that I was still an outlier mentally and I think I thought my creativity was weird and out there and I think a lot of the stuff that I did in college I thought was off brand from what people expected from me. And now I think I'm more comfortable with creating my own brand and showing people what my brand is rather than what people get from my 10 minute interaction with them to find my brand. Your brand, this title of this podcast is fucking incredible. Oh, thank you. And I actually think it is going to broadcast a lot of copycats. Are you prepared for that? It worries me. Don't fear it. I can't control it. Correct. Gary Vanderchuk. Embrace that shit. I love Gary V. Yeah. So do you like that you're doing it now? Oh, I love it. I, I this is this is what um I envisioned the podcast to be. You've done an incredible job. You've presented an idea that people have probably held in their minds for so many years and you have become a excellent communicator and a great listener and i am so thankful that you would have me here just to oh, man. shoot the shit have a drink with me i'm thankful you know that's it's funny i feel like yeah people are like they're thankful i'm thankful you know part of this is you know no lie this is a part of this is is gaining friendships that I never had. Um, and so, you know, when we, when I have people over and we talk about the cool kids or, or, um, you know, punk or hard rock or goth or whatever, when you're 16, 15, or in my case, I was probably 13, 14 when you were, you know, 16, 17. Um, I, I didn't have that comfortability to forge a, a relationship. And so I'm extremely thankful that, you know, with, interviews like this and and previous ones that I did that I'm able to forge an actual real relationship where there's no real gimmicks with this. We're just sitting up in my, in my other room and uh, having a conversation about life. And it's not a, okay, Mike's off, get out of my house. It's uh we talked for 40 minutes downstairs before we ever recorded. Correct. You know, so it's, it's, it's authentic. And so I'm very thankful to be able to redefine my mental summary of what high school was. I'm having a lot more understanding for the way that I grew up and the way that other people grew up, despite the way that they happened. 
Wanted, so, so I don't think it's justified for me to sign your yearbook. I didn't graduate from your year. I will. I just don't think it's justified. So there's been some other people that have signed it that are not in the yearbook. So I think uh, we, I think you just sign it wherever. Cool. Wherever there's an open space. You ready for caveman handwriting? <laughs> now there's a. Uh, oh, you got a pen. Perfect. I was gonna say there's a bunch of pens on here. On the table here, whatever one works is the one that you can use. He just drew on his hand to make sure. People wrote long paragraphs. I'm telling you, I didn't. Where did this podcast was, come from? I was not friends with any of these people. There's paragraphs. I must have like mercy asked, please sign my yearbook. Please. I might have to write something small just to belittle you. What? Where do I? Oh, God. Can I? How deviant would it be for me to write on somebody else's? Just right over all of their. Also, I just want to note that while I'm wearing headphones, there is a fucking radio somewhere in this building. It must be downstairs that they leave on because I can hear it on the microphone. It drives me nuts. You're writing really small. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. And uh, hit me up if you have any questions. The only... Dumb question is the one you don't ask me. Good job. <laughs> That's great. All right. That was Derek Cataldi. Uh, I'm a big fan of podcasts and some of my favorite podcasts over the years uh, made habits out of dropping holiday episodes. And so uh, that's something that I kind of wanted to be able to do on my podcast. And so uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview and I hope people who maybe don't know Derek or are listening because they're interested in trade or, uh, you know, the union. I hope this was something that was enlightening for you. We'll let you know when the testing is going to be. But in the meantime, you can call the Carpenter's Apprentice School of Philadelphia. Uh, that is 215-824-2300. And like Derek said, he's willing to talk to you too. And so maybe if you're someone who already has experience, you don't have to be an apprentice to do the work and have a better chance at wages. And so uh, you can reach out to Derek directly and uh, he will help put you in the right path. For me, of course, one more time, the social media, we weren't friends in high school is the Instagram, no apostrophe, WWF in high school on Twitter. And you can get me at red shirt playa everywhere. As promised, this pod will drop again on Monday as normally scheduled Monday morning with Christian Warren. And finally, of course, it is Thanksgiving, so I hope that everyone has a healthy, safe, fun holiday. Don't put yourself at risk. Don't do anything stupid, and don't spend too much money on Black Friday. All right? Thanks, guys. Have a great holiday. Gobble, gobble.